Mark's Gospel, chapter 14, reading from verses, verse 12 to verse 26. On the first day of the festival of the unleavened bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, Where do you want us to go and make preparations for you to eat the Passover? So he sent two of his disciples, telling them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. Say to the owner of the house, he enters, The teacher asks, Where is my guest room? Where I may eat the Passover with my disciples. He will show you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. The disciples left, went into the city, and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. When the evening came, Jesus arrived. While they were reclining at the table, when the, while they were reclining at the table eating, he said, Truly, I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They were saddened, and one by one they said to him, Surely you don't mean me. It is one of the twelve, he replied, one who dips bread into the bowl with me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. While they were eating, Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take it. This is my body. Then he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them. And they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many, he said to them. Truly I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it, in, drink it new in the kingdom of God. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. We thank God. We ask God's blessing on that reading of his word. Amen. Let's pray together. We still our hearts. Lord, we give you full authority to speak into our hearts through your precious word. Give us discernment to sort the weak from the chaff. Help us to apply the truth of your word into our daily lives. That our lives may be hallmarked as children of the living God saved by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So we are going through a Lenten series. Um, we thought about the gospel last week, so this week we're thinking about covenant. And uh, I wanted to ask you, if you think about the Last Supper... What supper would you choose? So if it was your last meal of your last day, what would you choose? 
fish and chips, <laughs> haggis and tatties. <laughs> well, I got some information here about the United States prison system and uh, what the practice in most of the prisons that um, have the death penalty, the prisoner is allowed to choose their last meal. Gary Gilmore, the first man executed after, after the death penalty, was reinstated in 1977. He chose hamburgers, eggs, potatoes, and bourbon, which is whiskey, which was smuggled into his cell. Ted Bundy, a serial killer executed in Florida in 1989, had a burrito and Mexican rice. Timothy McVeigh, who was executed in 2001 for his part in the 1995 bombing of the uh, federal building in Oklahoma City, had two pints of mint chocolate chip ice cream. John Wayne Gacy, a serial killer who murdered at least 33 young men, uh, was buried, buried them under his house had Kentucky Fried Chicken, Fried Prawns, French Fries, Strawberries and Diet Coke. Walter Legrand, who was executed in Arizona in 1999, asked for six fried eggs, 16 strips, I have you know, of bacon, one large serving of hash browns, a pint of pineapple sherbet, a breakfast steak, a cup of ice, 7-Up, Dr Pepper, Coke, hot sauce, coffee, and two sugar packs. Jesus asked for bread and wine as his last meal. And so we're thinking about covenant, the last supper, and what would you choose? And we realize that this story that we're enacting here this morning, this bread and this wine, non-alcoholic wine that we have today, is symbolic of a very, very long journey of Scripture. In fact, the Last Supper was the Passover meal. And the main feast of the Jewish religious year was held on the 14th day of the first month of the Jewish calendar, which was, which was approximately April. And the Passover was a feast designed to remember. We're very good as forgetters, aren't we? We can sometimes forget things. And that's why God called us to be a community. And the first day of the week, the day of resurrection, we come to worship together, to bring our praise, to be reminded of God's goodness and love. And the Passover is to commemorate the night that the angel of death passed over the Israelites and their house doors were daubed with animal blood to protect their lives as the angel destroyed the firstborn of Egypt during the last ten plagues that God sent to judge Egypt. And the Passover was also called the Feast of Unleavened Bread because no yeast or unleavened bread was to be used or even kept in the house during the days of the feast. Salvation of the Jewish people in the face of enormous suffering 
and slavery that they faced. So as we think about the journey that Jesus took to the cross, his journey to violently die on a cross, and today we're thinking about that in covenant. Most of us think of contract. They think covenant is like a contract. So um, I do something for you, you will reward me in return. There will be terms and conditions that happen. But a covenant is slightly different. A covenant is a sacred agreement with God. And we discover the journey of that with Abraham. God sets the terms and the conditions and the promise of his blessing. And the, the, the reason why it's not a contract is because it's a, it's a contract of unequals. We really have nothing to offer God. In fact, he offers us everything. What he looks for us in return is faith to trust in the work of our Lord Jesus Christ. And in return, he gives us his grace and favour. We become part of his kingdom now and to come in the next life. God sets those terms, so it's not merely a contract. We don't get to negotiate the terms. It's a binding agreement. You may have seen in movies where uh, some traditions will cut blood and they will uh, exchange it as a sign of the covenant, the contract. And we know with Abraham that a sign of that covenant emerged with the circumcision of boys within eight days. Covenant is precious. And in, we discover the beginnings of that in Genesis 15 and verse 1. God says to Abraham, do not be afraid. I am your shield and your very great reward. And why did God extend this covenant to this, um, this man, Abraham? Because he believed, he trusted what God said. And this is what's really important in our relationship with God, that we trust him, that we know him. And the Old Testament is a story of people's faith, their wanderings, their disobedience, their hopes, their fears, and God's unrelenting love, ceaseless love, his searching, his anger, his frustration. And this is true for us even. And we discover that journey in uh, the reading that Daisy brought to us, where it the prophet talks about a new covenant where Moses brought tablets of stone, the Ten Commandments. These were going to be the edicts by which you live by. And Jeremiah brings a prophecy where actually it's going to be about a heart relationship, not just a written relationship that's external on tablets of stone. And we discover the story of the minor prophets like Hosea, Hosea, whose wife becomes an adulteress, which is symbolic of the people of God who keep wandering away and worshipping other idols and deities. And yet God's unrelenting love, because he sends Hosea to find his adulterous wife, to bring her back, 
It's a story of us. We sung about it in that Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. And Jeremiah 31 speaks of that new covenant, that new beginning. It becomes a personal relationship with Jesus. And do we have that today, that personal encounter? There are two um, edicts in Baptist churches that we want to follow biblically. One of them we witnessed last week with Peter and Mary's confession of faith in baptism. That hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, spoke about Ebenezer. It's like a, a flag, like a declaring which way are you going. And so for me last week, listening to Peter and Mary testify about their trust in Christ was a wonderful reminder to me when I did that way back in 1982, coming from a non-Christian family and saying, this is the way I'm going. This is who I'm following. And it's true for you, for those of you who've been baptized. It's a reminder, that's what you're doing. And it's good And the second edict in Baptist churches we follow is breaking bread and pouring wine as a sign of God's grace to us. And we do that here twice a month in our services. So it's no longer hearts of stone, but it is soft hearts filled with divine love. And then we come to Jesus, the new covenant who puts his Holy Spirit in us. It's an I-thou, me-you relationship. It's not a second-hand faith. So I want to just talk a bit about covenant, because in the covenant, there's a battle that goes on within us. And the challenge for us is to be faithful to the law of God. And we know in the Gospels, Jesus talked about, I've not come to abolish the law, the old covenant, I've come to fulfill it. And this is really important that we understand that if, if we can't trust the old covenant, can we trust the new covenant? And that's why it's really important that we understand that God's promises are real for Israel as they are in the new covenant for us. They still stand, that covenant still exists, but it's fulfilled in the new covenant. And so we have this battle of law and grace. Law is about being faithful to God, following the rules, being disciplined, honouring God. And that's right and good. But there's another side to this, which is God's unconditional grace, unconditional love, that once we trust him, once we say yes to God in our own faith journey, no matter how many times we fail and fall or let him down, His grace accepts us. So there's a tension between those two positions, this battle of law and grace. I wonder which side you lean towards. 
in your own journey and thinking and attitude. Some of us will fall on the law side. And it's an honouring. We want to honour God by keeping the, the laws of God, by being faithful. And then there'll be others of us who will lean more heavily on the grace side, the unrelenting love and forgiveness of God, which is true. The problem we see, depending on which side you lean towards, the problem is if we abandon the law of God and it's all grace and there's no law, what about God's holiness? What about God's reputation? Where can his word be true? These are the laws, his judgment. But if we give up on the other side of grace, what about his faithfulness, his forgiveness? Seventy times seven was the illustration in the Gospels. And the truth is, as much as we seek to resist sin, sometimes we fail and fall. All of us do. And therefore there's this tension that we have in the covenant of Christ of holding the law of God and the grace, the unmerited love of God. And I, can, I want to read about that in Romans 4, verse 4 to 5. Now, when a person works, his wages are not credited to him as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the person who does not work but trusts God, who justifies the wicked... Their faith is credited as righteousness. In 1 Corinthians 5, 7, Get rid of the old yeast, that you may be a new batch without yeast. Interesting they're using the word yeast, unleavened bread, that was part of the feast. For Christ the Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Therefore let us keep the festival not with the old yeast, the yeast of malice and wickedness, but with the bread of sincerity and truth. So what this is all saying is, is our faith journey simply about following the rules? And the answer is, no, it's not. So I want to conclude with three things. We have to lead paradoxal lives in obedience to the gospel. What that means is we have to live in tension with the law of God, the commandments of God to be faithful, to be true, as well as to the grace and mercy of God. We seek to be faithful and dutiful Christ followers. And whilst we're in the world, whether in thought, word or action or inaction, we do the things we don't wish to. We can be unkind, unloving and unchristlike. And Romans 8 reminds us that the gospel of grace says there is no condemnation in Christ. We don't live to the rules to earn our salvation. We live our lives to obedience to the rule of Christ as a thank you, 
And here's, that's the, the trick of this thing, that being obedient isn't to earn our stripes, isn't to earn our way into the kingdom of God. Our obedience, our faithfulness, is the attitude of gratitude. It's our sense of thankfulness for what he's done to us and for us on the cross. There's a huge difference between those two mindsets. One is self-seeking justification, rule-keeping, living or living as an obedient mark of gratitude for salvation won by Christ. Secondly, I want to talk about absolute trust. I don't know who's cooking lunch for you today, but you'll be exercising faith that they are not going to poison you. You'll be exercising faith when you make an appointment this week that we'll be meeting on whichever night that we'll still be here, that the world will be still spinning on its axis, that God hasn't called in the end times. Trust is a reality of our very lives. David is getting married next Saturday here at the church here, and I know you're all warmly invited to that celebration. It can be very scary, not to put you off, David, to get married and be married Can we trust our spouse? Will they love us, care for us, sacrifice for us? And so a couple marrying plunge, take the plunge of love. And can we trust one another is the great question. And if your personal happiness is what is central to your soul then I've got to share with you, you will never be content in this life, nor will you fully understand who we are meant to be in Christ. Christ is not here to make us happy. There is great joy he gives us. I'm not stopping that. But some of us may find ourselves, for example, holding a difficult circumstance illness, challenge in our lives, called a bad hand in our lives. Absolute trust in God tells us, instead of looking to replace the bad hand, the circumstances that we have, we must seek to understand how we might honour God in those very circumstances with the hand that we're holding We must stop focusing on what we're expecting to gain, but start focusing on what we're willing to give of ourselves in those circumstances. I think it's, you know, people like uh, Nelson Mandela, um, Mother Teresa, Martin Luther King, we could go on. These people who have been through great suffering very publicly and there are those who are unpublic who go through suffering and yet have great faith it's because of the hand they're dealt with and how they respond to it that they've won great affection i mean um many of us here our queen elizabeth and what what faithfulness she has been as a servant to this nation and the commonwealth 
um, and as a believer in God, is an outstanding example of someone, whilst, you know, with all the lavish lifestyle, yet it's a very set and prescriptive lifestyle. And so the new covenant, the Apostle Paul says, is sealed in the blood of Christ. The Christian life is one of self-sacrifice. Christ became the curse for us. We broke the law of God. Jesus gave up his glory. We sung about that earlier. He came and brought heaven on earth, drowned in our darkness. They put thorns on his head, a spear in his side, nails in his hands and ankles. Jesus became a curse for me and you, for the world, the lawbreakers. He became the covenant curse. And that's why we break bread and we pour wine, reminding ourselves of what we have won. We're the winners here. We become daughters and sons of the living God. And so like Abraham, we need to trust God for his promise, not just for one's life, but for our lives together, yet born for the kingdom of vision. Finally, we're almost there. We need to get serious about covenant theology, about church membership. And I don't just, I mean a commitment to God's church. I'll never forget um, a United Reform uh, missionary whose name escapes me and talking about the local church is God's plan for the mission of the world. Um, and covenant theology says God has put the church as, as uh, flawed and as beautiful as it may be. This is God's purpose. So the gospel is not just about me and Jesus. The gospel is also about us and Jesus. And how can we make our Lord content? And so the covenant calls us into a new community. We are covenanted to God with new brothers and sisters. Peter and Mary expressed that covenant last week in the waters of baptism, saying, I'm committed to you, God, no matter what, and I'm committed through this expression of church here in CBC. And we're going to take bread. You'll be pleased now. It's all cut up, diced up. There's no loaf being shared today. Um, so you'll be as safe as we can be. But we're accountable to each other. So we're not consumers here. We're not paying, right, I give my offering and what do I get out of it? That's not what a covenant people are about. It's about what we can give of ourselves, how I can serve you and how you can serve God to me. Acts of kindness and generosity, this is the very gospel and sometimes in our Western society, even in the church, we have a diet God. Low in carbs and calories doesn't demand much of us. It's like drinking red top skim milk. There's no substance to it. We want a full fat God, a human body that was slain that we may enter a new realm. C.S. Lewis said this in his book Miracles. An impersonal God, well and good. A subjective God, 
of beauty, truth, goodness, inside our heads, better still, a formless life force surging through us, a vast power which we can tap. Best of all, God himself, alive, pulling at the other end of the cord, perhaps approaching at an infinite speed. He is the hunter, the king, the husband. That is quite another matter. This is the God who's with us, Emmanuel. There comes a moment when the children who've been playing at the mansion's grand entrance hush suddenly. Was that a real footstep in the hall? There comes a moment when people who have been dabbling in religion suddenly draw back, supposing we really found him. We never meant it to come to that. Worse still, supposing Christ finds us. My friends, as we think about God's everlasting covenant in bread and wine, God invites us all this morning as we take bread, drink wine, to trust him afresh, to know him and be known, to be vulnerable. It is time to renew our vows to Christ, to approach the Lord's table freshly to our commitment to him and his church here at CBC. Amen. As we sing our communion hymn, Behold the Lamb, I'm going to invite the servers to come forward, please. Let's stand to sing.